as you may have noticed, um, that we're taking a little break uh, from 1 Corinthians uh, for the next couple weeks. And um, today, uh, we'll be looking at something that is in short supply these days, and that is, as you guessed, wisdom. You know, one thought really stuck with me uh, after watching that uh, presidential debate, not the vice, I didn't get to vice presidential debate, I didn't get to watch it. The only thing I heard about was a fly. Uh, but, you know, after watching that presidential debate a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, you know, what did I just watch, right? Um, it was pretty juvenile. It was hard to watch, to be honest with you. But, you know, what's confounding it was that the supporters from both sides afterwards going back and forth, right? on the social media, and it was even among Christians, right? They were just going back and forth, and, um, and what started as a disagreement, and it would turn to, it, get, it got really, like, personal, right? And these are obviously friends, and yet, you know, it started off with disagreeing, and then it quickly turned into almost like a personal attack. They were taking it very personal, they're getting really heated. And I was thinking, like, why would you want to engage in a heated exchanges like that online for the whole world to see? If other people who, who know that you are a Christian, and it's pretty obvious, right, from their posts before and things, and they're just going back and forth and, you know, it, it, why would you want to do it? I mean, wh where is the wisdom in all this? People are just really digging in their heels. And I've yet to see, you know, kind of going on the exchanging, getting into exchanges like this for one person to say, you know what? After all that, and say, you are so right, right? I am so wrong. I'm in the wrong, you know. I absolutely just owe, you know, my apology to you, right? I've never seen an exchange like that. Everybody just digging their heels, right? And keep going back and forth. And in the end, finally, they say, okay, enough, enough right? Yeah, there are sometimes I just read, because it's both funny and really amusing that the Christians, some Christian leaders engage in such behaviors, right? You know, in emotionally uh, charged environment or not, we need discernment. We need wisdom. And I'm not just talking about political things, right? In every arena of our lives, we need wisdom. You know, wisdom is defined in a dictionary as the knowledge of what is true and right coupled with proper action. So even in the, uh, you know, in a regular dictionary, dictionary, that's how they define wisdom. Knowledge of what is true and right coupled with proper action. Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham, once said this, the strongest principle of life and blessings lies in our choice. Our life is the sum result of all the choices that we make, both consciously and unconsciously. So start with what is right, rather than what is acceptable. If you do not make a decision, then time will make it for you. And time will always side against you. 
And I think um, there is some word of wisdom here, right, from a man who walked with God all his life. Start especially the part, you know, do what is right rather than what is acceptable. Because if you don't make a decision, the time will make a decision for you. And our life is really the sum result of all the decisions that we have, all the decisions that, you know, consciously and unconsciously, we make decisions every single moment. And our life is really the sum of all the decisions that we have made and will make. Depending on the decisions that we make, how wise it is and how unwise it is, we will face consequences and benefits. The world, this world, offers its counsel to us, and it tells us, basically in their wisdom, says, hey, believe in yourself, right? Believe in yourself and trust your gut. We can really achieve anything that we put our minds to. And that is their definition. That is their wisdom, right? According to them. For example, you know, we all heard the, the term, you know, happy wife, happy life, right? And, you know, when I first said, ah, that's, hey, that sounds pretty cool, right? You know, like, yeah, happy, if you have happy wife, for those of us who are married, if you have a happy wife, yeah, happy life. Sounds pretty cool, right? But, you know, what it implies is that as long as you make your wife happy, that you will be happy. Making her happy will lead to a trouble-free life, uh, trouble life, so that will make you happy, right? Sounds like wisdom, sounds wise, but biblically, it doesn't really hold up, right? Even if you somehow achieve that, that goal of making your wife happy, does that really lead to a happy life, right? If you do not have Christ, if you do not know God, if you are not walking with God, is it really a happy life? And does that, just because, or making her happy, does that really, does that really lead to a happy life, right? True joy comes from being content in Christ and making every relationship Christ-centered. Sure, making your wife happy helps, but Scripture says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, you, you may be able to make your wife happy for a time being by meeting her once, but really serving her needs. That's what will flourish your marriage. So something like that, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like a short way of, you know, it's, it, it's fun. It's, I think it's meant to be funny too. But a lot of people, they recite that and just tell other people to do that and follow that example. Wisdom in scripture means aiming to choose what is, uh, ch aiming to choose the best and noblest end and doing so with the most appropriate and effective way, effective means. So in that wisdom, really, it involves both end and the means. So <clears throat> you may have the best intentions and cause, but if, you, uh, if the way you go about doing things or achieving that is unwise, then it cannot be considered wise. If you're a parent, if you're a parent, you may have the best intentions for your children, 
But if you become a helicopter parent, you know, I, I don't think it may, it may not be really wise. Your intention may be really good, but how you go about doing it, achieving it, is not wise. It's not really wise. If your intention to make the, say, the church building nice and user-friendly, and there is nothing wrong with that. You, you want to just you know, make sure that the building is nice and all these things. But if you end up spending so much money, right, that your intention may be good, but, you know, because how you go about spending money and where you spend all your energy, because it is not wise, the means is not really that wise, so it's not really a wise thing. And vice versa. You may, you may be doing something really effectively, and you may be really good at it. But if your end goal is not good, if your heart is not in the right place, then, you know, you, then what you are doing is not really wise. The wisdom involves both end and the means. You know, the Old Testament has what we call wisdom literature, the book of Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and some parts of Psalm. Right? And they deal not only with a life of worship or religious exercise, but also with everyday moral behavior in family, social, and business uh, concerns. And when we look at the wisdom literature, the Christian wisdom means making the fear of God, central. And the fear of God is really, we're talking about reverent worship and service of Him. The making the fear of God, the goal of our life. And then going about it in the right way. That is called wisdom. God reveals Himself to us as an all-wise God. He is the fountain of all wisdom. As we just read in that, um, uh, as we read in the, um, uh, the, the call to worship, Psalm 111, right? Verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who uh, practice it have a good understanding. He is the, the fear of God, it's really the beginning, it's the foundation, it's the starting point of all wisdom. That apart from Him, there is really no godly wisdom. There is no wisdom. The perceived wisdom that we may have or give a tribute to some godless people, like some philosophers, uh, some gurus or what have you, right? The thing is, their wisdom, what they offer, their counsel, their, what they are saying, cannot and does not lead to the kind of life that God calls for. Because their starting point there is no fear of God. They leave God out of the equation and whatever else that they are talking about, the meaning of life or how we are to live, it doesn't, it's basically it's standing on a quicksand because there is no fear of God. There is no reverence. There is no delight in God. So however you know, appealing it may sound, it doesn't really lead to the life that God wants us to live. To live. So there is no wisdom apart from God. So then the question is, how does God show himself wise? He's not wise just because he says he is. 
he's not wise just because I say he is. I mean, I can say to all of you, say, hey, I am wise. Just because I say that, does that make me wise? Probably not. Most, no, of course not. So how does God reveal himself as an all-wise God? And today's text tells us, in part, the wisdom of how he reveals himself as a wise God. And the first thing that, that we see, sorry, I didn't make the, um, the PowerPoint. The first thing is his works of creation. His works of creation. In verse 10, in today's text, it says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. His works of creation, he says, from the, from the very beginning, from the very get-go, he declares the end. There is no surprise or unforeseen, unknown plot twist in his eyes. He knows exactly what will happen. The year 2020, it's, it's full of surprises. It was so unexpected for all of us. It touched our lives in, in profound ways. And it was to us, but not to God. Because he declares it from the very beginning, the end. He knows and he directs it. You know, in books or movies, right, that are full of twists and turns, the, the people who are watching it or people who are reading it, they don't know until the end what's going to happen because there are so many like twists and turns. And, oh, I thought it was going this way, but then who? There's like another like twist, unexpected. So we don't know what will be the outcome in the end. But the author does. The director knows exactly how it's going to go. Because that's the, the, he's the one who created He's the one who wrote it. Likewise, God is the author of life. God is the history. God is the, the author of our history. His decree to receive glory led, as according to scriptures, led to the creation of this wonderful variety of things. When God first created the heavens and the earth, it was good and it was pleasing to him. All heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. All the birds chirping, all the majestic mountains, everything in nature is the handiwork of God. And it really is the evidence of his wisdom, just the way he created all these things, living and even just uh, nature. And as a crown jewel, God created human beings to subdue the earth and to rule over it. That we were created in his image. It was a paradise. And even with the fall, we still see the marvelous work of God in nature. Even with the fall, even the, the sin really tainted everything, messed up everything. Sin of men, and yet we still see the, the glimpse and the remnant of what, how God has intended everything. And, you know, um, Pastor Mike, you know, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to uh, listen from him soon. Uh, he's really working on uh, establishing relationship 
uh, with youth students. But you know, it's one of the earlier uh, times we, we met with him. So we just kind of asked her, so what are you going to be preaching on? And so, you know, he said he was going to start, obviously, with uh, the Genesis, just wanting to just establish, uh, you know, who God is, the character of God. And he mentioned, yeah, and so, you know, this week, I think I'm going to be talking about fractals. I'm like, I think Pastor Jay was there, too. Like, I, I never heard that word, like, fractal. What, what is fractal pattern, right? And so he just went, over, he just went off and just kind of explained things. And I'm like, you know, he's such a, you know, smart guy and I mean from West Point and everything and he's a PhD candidate and so he just went off and just explained it and you know with my limited understanding in mind I didn't really understand what he was talking it was he was going like this and like so I had to go home and just kind of just you know, type it up uh, just google it to understand and so you know the fractal is a is a pattern that the laws of nature and according to you know the world worldly sense the laws of nature repeat at different scales so, so you know if you look at something like pine cone that the pattern is there, it repeats itself. Like flowers, when you look at the, the petals and just different, like trees and leaves and things like that, it repeats the pattern. And it just happens, but it's just so, how can it be so random? And there, there you know, Pastor Mike was even saying, even the cloud, even though it seems so random, there's a, you can see the fractal patterns. And I was like, Oh my goodness. And then just, you know, looking at some of the examples that, that, that is looking at it, um, even from, from the, the internet, you could just see, wow, that it's not random that there are set patterns. And there is a creator who created all this, that it was not just random things. But there is an order, even in what it seems like chaos and disorder. You know, I love watching animal or like nature shows. I can just watch it forever and ever. Um, but, you know, as the filmmakers, you know, focus on the intricacies of each animal or insect or even plant, right? It just fascinates me. It's just amazing to see the wonders of God's creation. How even though there is no, you know, there isn't any human being involved and yet they somehow flourish, they thrive, they survive with their instincts. But still, I see the, the work of God in nature. How everything works in nature testifies to His wisdom. This all-wise God has created this. this. I mean, just even looking at our human body, right? It's a well-oiled machine. How do we, how do we even come about? Right? Was it that random and by chance you know, the survival of the fittest, the evolution from a single cell coming all the way to us to have that our body to function the way we do. No, it is the wisdom of God who created all this. The handiwork of God, it testifies, it is an evidence of the wisdom of God. And also the second thing is the providence. Providence of God reveals His wisdom in all of, uh, wisdom of God. You know, this passage, I know it's kind of like uh, I just read in the middle part, uh, but this passage is in the context of God judging Babylonians. Babylon, right? So because the Babylon at that time was the most dominant empire. They just instilled fear in everyone. And, you know, they were the Babylonians. They were proud, godless. They were hidden. And they had no regard for the living God. For them, it's like, who is God? 
this God of Israel, the, the protector of Israel, man, psh, they, they, this guy is, this God is, must be weak. I mean, we crush them, right? Who is this God that this small people group called Israelites believe in? He's nobody. Making really light of God. Um, so through Isaiah, he pronounces judgment against Babylon. And that's what he's saying. Remember this in verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, for, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. Because afterwards, God brings destruction upon Babylon, the man of my counsel. And I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. During that time, Babylon was such an invincible empire. It was inconceivable for anyone to rise, because it dominated the whole like Mesopotamia and you know, uh, the Middle East area. That there is, it was inconceivable for any nation to rise up against it, to defeat it. Because there was such fear of them all around. And yet, God says, I will make that happen. He says, I am bringing you judgment. Throughout history, nations have risen and fallen. And through all this, uh, in the rise and fall of nations, his purpose has been served. The order of things is maintained according to his plan. Because he has a plan. We may not see it, but God preserves everything and everyone in the world to serve his purpose. We don't get it. We don't understand it. How? But the reason that we are still breathing in and out, we are still alive, is because there is a purpose of God for each and every one of us. That's why we are still on this earth. That's why there are people on this earth, to serve his purpose. So for a time, Babylon, even though they were hidden, God raised them up to serve his purpose and brought even destruction of his own people. But that, didn't, uh, that wasn't because, you know, God had a special favor on Babylon. Far from it. For a purpose, God raised a nation for a time to serve his purpose. When the time was done, as they continued in their wicked ways, God brought judgment upon the very people that God has used. His wisdom is shown in the way that he sustains all things. His providence, providing what is needed in its time, showing divine care. That is also the evidence of God's wisdom, how he sustains all things, even through all the people that are, you know, just rising and falling through all this throughout history. Because everything, once again, God upholds, God sustains all things according to his purpose. And that is the evidence. His providence is the evidence of his wisdom.
You know, did you know that, um, that the Amazon uh, rainforest exists in part because of the dust wind from the Sahara, uh, uh, the, the dust wind that comes, from, comes over from the Sahara Desert? I didn't know that. I was watching just one of the, you know, the, the planet Earth kind of thing from uh, uh, one of the, the channels. And that's what they said. And I just Googled it. And it was true. In part, the, one of the wettest places on Earth, the Amazon rainforest, it exists. It's sustained because of the dust cloud that is coming over from all the way in Africa, in Sahara Desert, one of the, the driest places. How can this be? Every year, the desert wind kicks up, right? kicks dust high into the, into the atmosphere, and it travels 6,000 miles from Africa. It travels all the way into the atmosphere and travels to, uh, towards um, South America and where the, the Amazon rainforest is. And it's millions and millions of uh, millions, tons of dust, right? They land in Amazon. That's like the equivalent of they said like 500 like Empire State Building worth of sand, sand dust that have to settle in Amazon, right? That's a huge amount of dust. It's not just a little, you know, think it's just little bits and pieces. That's a huge amount of like dust that settles there. So how does it affect the Amazon rainforest? The dust from the, the Sahara Desert, it contains phosphorus. It is a key ingredient uh, that is needed for the plants to grow. It's a crucial ingredient. The thing is, the Amazon soil severely lacks phosphorus, up to 90%, they say. Because of the constant rain and the river, it constantly just uh, flushes it out into this, uh, to, the, to the sea. So it really lacks. But because of the, the, uh, the, the dust that comes from Sahara Desert that contains phosphorus, that sustains the plants in the Amazon rainforest. So without uh, Sahara des uh, dust, there won't be any many plants and the Amazon rainforest will eventually dry out, considered as uh, the Earth's lungs. Right. You see, God makes even the desert dust useful for the, the sustenance and the health of the Earth. Who would have even thought, thought something like that? Acts chapter 14, verse 17 says, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he, did, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. The fact that it is God who provides what is needed. When there is need for rain, that God would provide it. Right? And God would uh, cause fruitful seasons so that we would be enjoying um, the fruits. I mean, our smoke, we didn't go, but you know, our smoke, they went apple picking and pumpkin picking yesterday, and they brought some, you know, apples. And I mean, it wasn't that exact apples, but you know, just in a, making, you know, baking like uh, the host graciously, you know, baked apple pie that was really awesome. I mean, just enjoying fruits in its season, right? That's all because of God really causing rain. God sustains all things. God upholds everything that we see. 
Just by looking at all of creation and the way God governs the world, we see the glimpse of His wisdom. The manifestation of His wisdom does not simply stop there. Not only with the, the handiwork of His creation, not only with the, the way He governs and pro, uh, you know, His providence, but also through the redemption that we see the wisdom of God. Since the fall, we had no hope. God's law only magnified how impossible it is for us to be in conformity to His will. God's will, God's, you know, God's design, God's will is really revealed, you know, primarily, not only, but, you know, it's not excluded to it, but Ten Commandments, it reveals the will of God, His calling and His purpose for us. But the Ten Commandments not only tell, um, tell us what we are supposed to do, but also it really reveals how utterly hopeless we are because we cannot simply keep the Ten Commandments. Not even the first one, let alone the, all ten of them. Not even the first one. You should not have God, no other God before me, right? Even the very first one that God has for us, we cannot keep because of our sinful heart. We, we cannot help but sin because of our rebellious heart. We can't help it. We constantly see, uh, we, we, we cannot help but sin, right? No matter how hard we would try, we would fall short. And um, our efforts fell hopelessly short of what God demanded because what God demanded from us is perfect obedience, obedience to Him, not partial, but a wholehearted, complete obedience, something that we could never achieve. And this is where the wisdom of God shines brightest. Knowing our predicament, He sent His Son to live a perfect, obedient life that we could never, ever live. And He decreed that this Son of God, Christ, be the sacrifice and sin offering on our behalf. His life, His suffering, His death, His sacrifice, in our place, satisfied God's demand for justice, because God demands justice, because God is a just God. So by Him dying in our place, it satisfied His demand for justice. And it also demonstrated God's love by sending His own Son to die in our place. He demonstrated His love for us. How marvelous is the message of the gospel. At the, uh, at the scene of the cross, we see the satisfaction of God's justice, and we see the, the, the demonstration of the unbelievable love of God at the same time. And now He calls us to be reconciled to Him and become His heavenly citizen through repentance and trust in, uh, through, uh, trust in Christ. And God accomplished all this through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The enemy, in his wildest dreams, could have never imagined this. He most likely, right, he declared his victory when he nailed the Son of God to the cross and witnessed his death. He said, Ooh, I did it. I killed him. I got rid of him. 
good riddance. Satan could not see it coming that God in his wisdom and power raised Christ Jesus from the dead and foreshadowed what is to come, the resurrection of the believers. He didn't see what God was up to when Jesus was taken up into heaven. He probably had a sigh of relief, right? Instead of Jesus continuing his uh, earthly ministry, he was taken up, right? He ascended into heaven. So he probably said, phew, that was a close call, right? Now I can resume my reign in this world. You know, the disciples, they are leaderless. They are utterly disorganized. They are just scary cats, right? No problem. I'll just wipe them out, right? No problem. But in no time, on the day of Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit came and birthed the church. And from the handful of ordinary people, the world was turned upside down. It was changed forever. And the kingdom of God, it may be invisible to us, continues to advance even to this day, going onward. No one could have possibly conceived something so wonderful, something so marvelous, but God alone. This, just the redemptive work of God, how God has accomplished for us our salvation, reconciliation, and the kingdom of God coming on earth. How he has accomplished all that from the very beginning, from the Adam and Eve prophesying, just giving us the, the hope of the coming Messiah. And then finally, Jesus fulfilling all the messianic promises. Every single one of them. And they're taken up to heaven and paving the way for us to be reconciled to God something that we can never, ever achieve on our own strength with our efforts. God has accomplished it for us and says, here, here is my plan. This is what I want you. I want you, come. Come in repentance. Come humbly before me and trust in the Son of God. This wisdom, the work of redemption, it, it just, it's just mind-boggling if we stop and think about how God has accomplished all this. His works of creation, His providence, and His redemptive work, decreed before the creation of the world, it truly reveals to us the wisdom of God. This is the kind of God that we serve. And now He calls us to turn to Him for wisdom. James 1, 5, and 6, it says this, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously. He's not a stingy God. If we are to really ask him for wisdom, he will give generously to all without reproach. He will not say, what is wrong with you? right? But without reproach. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven, uh, driven and tossed by the wind. Come before him with a trust and a faith, asking God that he will provide for us the wisdom that we desperately need in our lives. Seek him. 
Seek after him. Read and meditate on his word for direction and guidance. Turn to him in prayer. Seek godly wisdom. Proverbs is filled with godly wisdom. And as we said, in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. They have a good understanding. And here, the good, it also it implies morally good. It's not just like, you know, kind of being uh, just kind of convenient, kind of that kind of goodness we're talking about. Morally good understanding of what God calls us to do when we have the fear of God, when we just revere Him, when we submit ourselves to Him, acknowledging our shortfall, that we cannot do this on our own, but that God has accomplished all this for our sake. When we turn to Him, in this way, God promises to us that He will give it to us generously. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I need wisdom. I need discernment every day of my life. I really do. Because I, sometimes I catch myself doing some foolish, foolish things. As I, and then I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What is really in my heart? I catch myself. And that's, I'm sure, probably like very small, you know, just a little tip of an iceberg of all this unfiltered, unrecognized, the things that I miss, all the unwise things that I've done, that I'm thinking, that I'm saying, right? I need wisdom. And my guess is that we all do. Where do we seek that wisdom? From the world? Whatever the experts say about how we are to carry ourselves, how we are to deal with our stress? Or do we turn to the, to the very source of wisdom, God himself, and the revealed will of God? This is where we are to turn to and find the true wisdom that brings life, that brings discernment, so it is my prayer for all of us that as we go through each day, every moment, that we would seek Him, turn to Him in humility, and find the wisdom that He generously is ready. He's just ready to just pour it out to us. And yet, we fail to seek Him. We fail to turn to God. We fail to ask Him. When was the last time have we really turned to Him for wisdom? for discernment. And not just, just what we see right in front of our eyes, but for just overall, just bigger picture, the direction of our lives. Not only just, you know, big things, but small things for His wisdom. And He will give it to us as He has promised. As we tap into this very wise, all-wise God, may we find wisdom, find life. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord and just take a moment to, um, you know, as uh, James tells us to ask him for wisdom and not doubt. Do not doubt. So why don't we do that? Let's respond this time that God would grant us wisdom. Wisdom in the way we 
relate to people, relate to our family members, relate to our church members, relate to our uh, co-workers. We need wisdom in the way we say things. We need discernment in things that we, may, uh, we do not uh, see right away, our intentions, what's really in our hearts. We need discernment. Because without wisdom and discernment, it's so easy for us to fall uh, into fall into trap of doing things, in, doing foolish things, fleshly things, unbiblical things. So let's go before the Lord and ask for His wisdom, His discernment. We desperately need it every day, every moment. Tells us to lean on our own understanding. With the onslaught of all the readily available information at our fingertip, we confess that we often turn to these things or the so-called experts to guide us, to give us tips, to give us relief to give us reprieve, to give us joy and happiness. We turn to other things, other people, but we fail to ask you for wisdom, the very source of wisdom. Lord, we uh, confess that in many ways, many times, we lack fear of God, true reverence, and the desire to serve you. Our flesh get in the way, our enemy gets in the way, and this world gets in the way. It really just crowds our minds that we don't really, we don't discern well because we are filled with uh, human thoughts worldly thoughts. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your discernment each and every day. And Lord, this creation, your creation, your providence, and what you have accomplished for us through the cross, reveal to us your wisdom that is far beyond what we could have ever imagined. And you simply ask us to ask, uh, you simply tell us to ask you, so help us, God, that we will turn to you to find wisdom and discernment instead of turning to other sources that are not really helping us. Grant us your wisdom so that each day, each moment, we may live in accordance with your will, that we may live, live out your purpose the way you, the way you want us to uh, live out. Have mercy on us. Give us your grace again. We need more of it, Lord. We thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.